Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Buttercup, and Buttercup was married to a charismatic, cheating, physical abuser. It's a story of being seen, codependency, empty apologies, entitlement, and blaming. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Buttercup. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for asking. And if you want to be a guest on our show like Buttercup is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. Click on that button. It takes you to our Guest Form page. Please read all of the instructions. And then either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do read all the instructions and send it in the form that we ask for. And today you are going to hear Buttercup's story and a big trigger warning. We do discuss physical abuse. It is graphic. And we also do discuss sexual coercion in this story as well. So there are trigger warnings on both of those subjects. So if this is not for you, please do turn the episode off right now. And I know that Buttercup is going to help a lot of people by sharing her story. So I just want to thank her once again And with all the trigger warnings out of the way, Buttercup, the floor is now yours. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you so much for bearing with me through all of my technical difficulties (laughs) and for having me on your show. I, your show is amazing. I listen to it every night while I work for like the past three or four months. and. It's just, I love it. It's great. It's helped me so much. And I know that it helps so many other people. So I just want to say thank you for that, first of all. So I'll start at the beginning, I guess. I was adopted as a baby, a four-month-old infant, the home of my parents. I was the only child. My dad was a pastor in a Protestant church, and my mother stayed at home with me until I went to school when I was five. And after that, she worked full time and I was was with my dad most of the time. And he and I had 
a very, I don't know, it was a very strained relationship. He was really, so I guess I should tell a little bit about myself first. I have always been a very empathic, sensitive person. I feel like because of the fact that I was given up as a child, even though I don't obviously consciously remember that, it definitely affected me and my development. And I was always very insecure and just kind of felt displaced my whole life. I didn't have a lot of con- in common with my adoptive parents. I was kind of emotionally abused a lot by my dad, though. And I think that's what kind of <laughs> my good Christian upbringing. I feel set me up for a life of (laughs) pain and disappointment because I was so sheltered as a child. You know, my parents were very strict. I wasn't allowed to do very many things. My father disapproved of most of my friends. So my social life was very limited. I was really shy. We moved around a lot when I was a kid. I went to a different school every year as a child throughout school. So that was really difficult for me. And I just felt like my parents were not very understanding of me at all. They were more old school. They were older. They were about 10 years older than the rest of my friends' parents. So their views on a lot of things were just very different. And of course, my dad being a pastor, obviously we were very religious. We were in church a lot and there were a lot of expectations that came with that as well. And I just wasn't, I I think from a really young age, I saw a lot of hypocrisy within the church and I didn't like it. I just saw, I was hearing, being told one thing and I could see that the way that people were living was not what they were. They weren't practicing what they were preaching, in other words. so. I had a really hard time, you know, I guess, conforming to my parents' rules. My dad was definitely the, you know, the final authority in our house. And that included my mom as well. You know, I would go to my mom to ask her things because I was more comfortable with her. She didn't intimidate me as much, but it was always, it's okay with me, but you have to ask your dad. And I would dread having to approach him for anything. I I couldn't express myself to him. I was always very uncomfortable and intimidated around him. And I didn't know why I assumed it was because we just didn't get along very well that I felt that feeling of uncomfortability around him. And I didn't realize until (laughs) years later as an adult, why, but that'll be later in the story. (laughs) So that's kind of how my life started off. We lived in a very small town. I was with my parents all the time. I was never left with a sitter. They took me with them wherever they went, which I hated because it was all just boring grown-up stuff, right? Like I didn't, there weren't a lot of other kids my age around. So I was very lonely as a child and I just felt very unaccepted, I guess is a good word. And just one more point I want to make about my dad is I feel like he really just destroyed my self-esteem as a child, not in really big, obvious ways, but he just constantly nitpicked me. Like I felt, I feel like I was a good kid. Like I didn't cause any problems. I was very, you know, there was no need to really take extreme measures with me because I wasn't that kid that was 
acting out and doing anything wrong because I didn't want to draw any attention to myself. I didn't want to be in trouble. I wanted to be accepted. So I was very quiet, soft-spoken, and he just chipped away at my self-esteem. He would just constantly criticize everything about me, the way I walked, talked, my decisions, my, my schoolwork, my handwriting, just every little thing that you could imagine, he had something to say about it. So, and I wasn't allowed to have a voice. I would ask if I asked ever why it was because I said so. There was no discussion. There was no room for, well, can we talk about this? It was just, I said no, and that's the end of it. Um, so I guess, I guess I was primed <laughs> to become a victim of an abuser because I was just taught to, you know, not speak unless I was spoken to. Um, felt like I had to say everything very quickly. I still have that. <laughs> That's something that stuck with me my whole life. And also there was the religious aspect. You know, when you get married, it's for life. Divorce is a sin. Um, you and my parents were of the generation that you married for life. You know, you worked it out. If you had issues, you stuck together and you worked on it. You didn't give up on each other. And so that's the first part of my story. And... What were your beliefs about relationships and were they modeled off of your religious beliefs? So in my mind, especially as a teenager, I wanted that, you know, fairy tale romance. I wanted, I thought that, you know, you were supposed to fall in love and someone was going to sweep you off your feet and just, you were going to be the best of friends and you know, work together on everything and be together all the time. And that was, I guess, I mean, from TV and books and things that I had read because it wasn't modeled in my home, certainly. But I guess that made a part of me want that even more because I didn't see it demonstrated between my parents. And I thought, I, you know, I'm going to be in a different kind of relationship when I get married. You know, it's going to be different. So yeah, definitely not so much by religion, but more so by what I saw at home lacking and what I wanted for myself. So you are obedient. You are misunderstood or looking for acceptance. You are looking for love in a in a really big way and you are now going out into the world of adult relationships and you end up married before the eventual relationship or you have a lot of different relationships I had four relationships two of those were marriages the first one I was not married it was my first I would say my first serious relationship after I got out of high school, I met him. It was my oldest son's father. This is that relationship. It was my first one. I was in when I met him. It was the summer after I graduated from high school. I met him at a convenience store across the street from my house because I had gotten a stereo for my car and I wanted, I needed someone to help me install it. And 
he was just kind of a neighborhood guy. I didn't really know him. I just knew him from the store. I had spoken to him before. And I was talking to the guy that worked at the store about how I needed to get my speakers put in and to my car and all. And he spoke up and he said, I'll help you out. And I, you know, being my 18 year old sassy self, I was like, well, I'm not going to pay you or anything like that. And I'm not doing anything else for you. And he's like, I just want to help you. So he came and he put my speakers in my car and we started spending time together and very I didn't have any idea what was going on at the time because, you know, I was young. It was my first relationship and he was very attentive to me and seemed very like I could tell that he was attracted to me, but I was kind of, I guess, playing hard to get and, you know, I wouldn't acknowledge it or anything. So we started to date after I would say it was about three or four months. We had gone out one night together to like a local like a fair. And we had a great time. Everything was fine. We got back to my house afterwards and we were going to watch a movie and hang out for a little while. And I went into the kitchen to get us some snacks. And when I came back into the living room, his whole demeanor had changed. And he was just, he seemed like he was mad. And I was really confused because everything had been fine a couple seconds before that. So I said, you know, what's wrong? And he wouldn't answer me. And he just kind of sat there ignoring me, like screwing around with the TV. And I said, you were fine a minute ago, you know, and he, he gave me the silent treatment for about probably half an hour. And I was starting to just get so upset. Like I just was so confused and the feeling that I had, it was like in the pit of my stomach. And I was like, what is going on? This is so strange. Like, how does he just change like that? We, everything was fine. We had a great night. And after, you know, we kind of started to argue back and forth a little bit. And he's like, you should know, you know, just acting like I, like I had done something, but I knew that I hadn't. But all I could do was I was just so upset at the fact that he was upset with me, even though I knew I had done nothing wrong. I just wanted to make it to fix it and make it better. And he ended up saying he was going to leave. And as he walked out the door, I was like, you know, or you're not going to say goodbye or anything. And he started to laugh. And I said, what's so funny? He's like, nothing. He's like, I wasn't even mad at you. He's like, you're so ridiculous. He's like, look at, look how upset you got. He said, I was just joking. And he left there and I was just, I felt like I had been hit by a truck because I just didn't understand. You know, no one had ever done anything like that to me before. I'd never dealt with someone like that before. Every interaction that we had from that point on, and we were together for about four, three, almost four years. He just progressively know, from it was, that was where he changed. He was a dick the rest of the time that we were together. I mean, he cheated on me. He stole from me. He lied to me. He lived with me for free. He didn't work. About six months into our relationship, I got pregnant with my son. My parents were less than thrilled. I was almost 19. Obviously that was not what they had planned for me. They didn't want me to have a child before I was married and they weren't impressed with him. They had seen the way he treated me and 
you know, everyone that I knew that knew him was like, why are you even with him? Why do you even deal with him? He's so mean to you. And I just put up with it. I always just put up with it because I thought that was what I was supposed to do. I'm like, well, if I, I thought it was me, I always thought it was me. So I just kept trying harder and harder and harder and things progressed, progressively got worse with us. By the time my son was two years old, he was cheating on me with three different women at the same time, one of whom he worked with. He had come home one weekend. Um, he got dropped off at the end of the street, which I thought was odd. I'm like, why can't you just get dropped off at the door? Is because the girl that he was seeing had dropped him off. He was drunk. So he took his coat off and threw it on the chair and he went upstairs to bed. And I instantly grabbed his coat to put away in the closet and I could feel something like stiff in his pocket of his coat. And I reached into the inside pocket of his coat and there was a stack of pictures. This was back in 1989 or 92, I think, two or three. So obviously we just had photographs then. And it was a whole batch of pictures of him and the girl in the weekend they had spent together in this hotel room. And I just, he had cheated on me so many times at that point, And I always took him back. And I just had had enough. And so I put the pictures back, but I kept out like two or three of them. Um, I got up the next morning, brought him to work, dropped him off, never said a word, came home, packed my stuff and my son's stuff. And I took those three pictures that I had kept and I spread them across the couch and we left. And then I had two more relationships in between Prior, I had a child with each one of my relationships. Uh, the two after that were not were not that bad. They weren't great, but they were not. I don't feel like they were necessarily abusive in any way. They just were not healthy relationships. It was always the same theme throughout. I felt like I was always the one who was chasing after them. I was the one that wanted the relationship more. I felt like they were always kind of pulling away from me. So it was always the same theme throughout, you know, in between. It was about, let's see, I'm going to say, so there's about 10 years in between where I was in these other two relationships. So you have three boys at this point yep. and you are used to being in relationships with avoidant types would that be fair yes definitely definitely so you are constantly in a chase so yep going into this relationship are you thinking to yourself i'm been used to this type of person i'm looking for someone that is the opposite of that or at least at the beginning is showing me the opposite of that yes Every time. And that's the thing. That's how all of those types of relationships start out. They're great in the beginning. And the other thing about me, my situation personally, is I just went from relationship to relationship without giving myself any time in between. You know, I never, I never knew who I was as a person ever. Like I never really had my own identity because growing up, 
I had to be what my father wanted me to be. And then in every relationship that I was in, I was always, I would just conform to, you know, I would become whatever I thought that I needed to become to make that situation work. So I was never like a real person. I, of my own, like my own individual autonomous person, I was just whatever everyone else around me wanted me to be, because that's how I felt that I would get people's acceptance is if I just gave them no reason not to like me or not to want to be around me, then surely they would love me if, if there was no reason not to. So I would never oppose anyone. I would never stand up for myself. I just, I mean, looking back now, it, it makes me, it gives me like a sad feeling for myself back then because I just was so lost and so wrapped up in needing approval from other people and needing acceptance in any way that I could get it, that I would just put myself out there and do whatever I felt like I had to do. So I was never even really my own genuine self because I didn't even know who that was. So that definitely showed in the relationships that I was in because it was never about me. It was always just me attaching myself to someone so I because I didn't want to be alone. I was alone my whole life. I felt so alone and I just needed someone's companionship and acceptance so bad that I would just latch on to anything like the first attention anyone paid me and just cling on to it and continue to do whatever I had to do at that point to keep it working. But it wasn't necessarily a healthy or functional situation. I was just kind of being swept along with the flow of, I felt like everything was happening to me. Like I had no control over anything in my life that I just was forced to go along with whatever situation I could fit into. And that was what I needed to do to survive. And then throw your kids into the situation and you don't have time for yourself and and figuring those things out at all because you are now also tending to three kids who you're their god and you're you're trying to help them be the best kids uh possible and now at the same time again you're not able to know who you are yes Exactly. That's exactly what was happening. And the other thing in relationship to the kids is that none of these men treated my kids well either. Not only were they not treating me well, but they were treating my kids even worse, you know, because that was just like collateral damage to them. They weren't with me because they were interested in building a family with me or because they wanted to be any sort of, you know, role model to my kids they were just trying to get whatever they could get from me. I mean, I was an easy target. I was, <laughs> I was prime narcissistic supply because I was just willing to do whatever I had to do. And my kids, that's a hard, that's a thing that I struggle with now because I feel like my kids were just swept along on this ride that I was on of trying to find acceptance and just always seeing me constantly being beaten down over and over and over again. And 
I hated that they had to see that. I have a lot of guilt about that. I know that, sorry. <laughs> I know that that's not my fault now. I understand that. I was doing the best that I could with what I had to work with. And I would never do anything to intentionally harm my children, obviously, but it was so harmful to them to just be caught in that cycle of these men that wanted nothing to do with them. Not only were they mistreated, but they had to watch me being mistreated as well. And they saw just how it destroyed me, how every time I would just become less and less and less. And I didn't realize how much that that would affect them until now they're grown up and I see, I see the struggle in them and they don't even know yet. Most of them, they're not old enough yet, but. At what age are they when you meet the person that this story is about? So they were, uh, when we got together, they were 11, eight and one. And I had just had, you know, after these three failed relationships, I really was at a point for the first time where I had just had enough. You know, I wanted to be on my own for a while. I finally felt like I was strong enough and brave enough to be alone for the first time ever with my boys and that I could do it alone. So I was feeling really good about myself, probably better than I had in, I, I want to say ever. I really was surprised at how much I enjoyed being alone because I had always dreaded being alone my entire life. So that was in January that he moved out. And when my ex came into the picture, it was March. So it was only a few months that I had that, you know, alone time, which was not very long at all. Certainly not long enough for me to even begin to process any of what I had gone through up until that point. So my best friend, this is my, he's my best friend's younger brother. So I had known of him, you know, known him, was familiar with him for several years, but he's much younger than I am. He's 12 years younger than I am, which is a huge difference. So what was happening was he was, he had been down living in Florida and he was moving back up here. And he was staying at his grandmother's house. His grandmother was, she was sick with cancer and, you know, it was her, her final days and he was staying there and it was really just heavy. It was a lot for him to be there. So my friend asked me if he could come and stay at my house for a few days. The first few days, you know, he just stayed, he would show up like late in the evening, basically just to come over and sleep. But on like the third or fourth day, one morning when he got up, we started to talk and just kind of, we were just kind of glued to the couch for the whole day, like on and off, not obviously the whole time, but we just got into this conversation that was so unexpected. Like I would never in a million years have looked at him in any kind of way as like a partner or someone that I would be attracted to. Like I said, he was young and I was not even physically attracted to him. And I just wouldn't, we didn't really have a lot in common because of our age difference. And I guess that's major, the major reason. I mean, I was 32, he was 19 
And it just, I would never have even considered looking at someone like that in that kind of way. So, you know, it was completely innocent to me, but I noticed as we were talking that he was, he just kept kind of looking at me in a certain kind of way. You know, he would just kind of stare a little bit too long, or he would have this kind of sweet grin on his face. And I was like, is he like flirting with me? Like, no, he wouldn't like, and I would never have considered that he would be attracted to me. I'm an old lady with three kids. Why would a young guy like that even look at me in that kind of way? Especially I'm his sister's friend. Like it just never in a million years did it even enter my mind. So after about a week of him staying with me, every single night we were staying up and talking and having some drinks and hanging out and just having these super deep conversations, like things that I would never expect him to know about or be interested in. And I was just blown away. I was just amazed at, you know, his capacity to have a conversation with me. I know that sounds condescending, but I don't mean it that way. Just because he was so young, I just didn't expect that we would be on any kind of, you know, same level. It felt very natural. And so then I started to get concerned because I was like, oh my goodness, is he he starting to have feelings for me? Am I starting to have feelings for him? Like, and, and I didn't want that. I was like, no, this can't happen. What, what would people say? Like, what would my friend say? What would my mother say? Like, all these things are going through my mind. I'm like, this can't happen. Like, for such an unlikely, you know, connection of two people, I am blown away by the fact that he just seems to completely understand everything that I'm saying. You know, I've always been like, thought of myself as kind of a weirdo, like, Nobody really gets me. Everyone thinks I'm just kind of weird. And he is totally on the same wavelength with me. And it's not just in the way that he responds, like with his attention and his, his facial expressions, but it's just everything. And I'm, like I said, I'm extremely empathetic and I feel everything that everyone around me feels. I'm feeling it from him too. He's reflecting it back to me. And I'm like, wow what is going on? Like, it really just, it took me, I struggled with it. (laughs) So this went on for a few weeks. After about a month of this, we were over at a mutual friend's house together and we're playing a card game. And he wrote this little note on a, like the back of a playing card that had a crease in it that we had taken out of the deck. And I I don't remember what it said, honestly. It was 20 years ago, but <laughs> it was something to the effect of, you know, because like every time I would look over at him throughout the course of that card game, he was just staring at me with this. It was the way that he looked at me, the face that he had on when he looked at me. He looked like he just was just amazed by me. And, you know, when we were talking, he would tell me, you know, he confessed to me that as a kid, when I would be over at his, his mom's house, hanging out with his sister or whatever, he said, I always used to check you out. I always thought you were so pretty. He said, I, I think you're such, I love the way you dress. Like, he's like, you're just such a cool person. He's like, I just always thought you were so nice. And like, no one had ever made me feel the way that he made me feel even before anything romantic happened with us. He just seemed to really 
admire me and be almost kind of in awe of me. And no one had ever like gave me that type of attention before. So of course I just, it scared me, but it, I sucked it up like a sponge. I was like, Oh, this feels so good. He was giving me everything that I wanted, everything that I wanted. With your situation, like we hear in a lot of these situations, it moved very quickly. And you ended up moving in with him after what? So just a few months, we were all all set to go. And we were already talking marriage at this point. He started telling me that he wanted to marry me. I think it was in probably June. And he just blurted it out one day in the middle of a conversation. He was doing that thing, you know, where he would sit there and just give me that look that look that just melted me that I would love, you know, he would just all the love in the world was coming out of his eyes at that moment. That's what it looked like to me. And he's like, we should get married. And I was like, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. We'll get married. He said, no, I'm serious. And no, I thought he was joking. I didn't really take him that seriously, but he continued to mention it. He would just keep bringing it up. And then finally one day, he was like, I really, he said, I know you think I'm joking, but I really do want to marry you. He's like, I have never like felt like this about anybody ever before. We have such a strong connection. It was meant to be. I feel like you were brought to my life. You know, you, what I've been waiting for, just all of it, all of it. He couldn't have spread it on any thicker. Like I just, oh my goodness. I, <laughs> when it was first brought up, we would talk about doing it the following year. Well, we'll get married next year. You know, we've, we're going to move and we can't really plan a wedding while we're trying to move and all of that. So we decided we'd get married the following year. And then as the moving date got closer, he kept saying, why don't we just go do it? Like, he's like, let's do it. Like, I just want to do it. Why do we even have to wait? Let's not even plan a big wedding. Let's just do it right now. And so he bought, he went and he bought me an engagement ring. I got the most romantic proposal ever. He proposed to me in the parking lot at Walmart one night after we had gone out to eat with his sister and her husband. And I felt like at that point, once it was out in the open and we had told everyone, once his sister found out, I, we were just all kind of swept away in it. Like it was some sort of a movie or something. Like it wasn't even real life. And we threw a wedding together really quickly. And <laughs> never forget the week before we got married. So, I mean, everything is set up at that point. You know, the invitations have gone out and the responses have come back. Everything's ready to go. We, he just, his mood went through the toilet. He just, he became such Oh, such a jerk. He was just angry all the time. He was giving me the silent treatment. He was, you know, staying out really late. He was clearly avoiding me. Finally, I confronted him about it and we got into this huge blowout, like screaming, yelling fight. And he said, I never wanted to marry you. You're the one that roped me into this, brought it up one time and you took it and ran with it. I don't want any part of it. And I just was blindsided. I, like, why are you saying these things? It's a week before our wedding. Like, 
you said you're the one that wanted this. You're the one that pushed it and you're the one that kept moving it up. That wasn't me. Like everything that he was saying to me were all the things that he had been doing through the past week about the way he was acting and his attitude. And, you know, he was just a bear. You couldn't say anything to him. He was being rude and just impossible to be around, basically. Like, I'm devastated because it's a week from my wedding. I'm swept up in it. I'm like, wow, this guy wants to marry me. He can't wait to marry me. Now, all of a sudden, he hates me and he wants nothing to do with me. Like, what happened? How how did we get here? So that was the first, like, really serious, I guess, red flag that I completely ignored, didn't even really acknowledge because I just wouldn't, I couldn't, I, I was so focused on, we're ready. We're a week out. Like we can't go back on it now. You know, we need to figure this out right away. It was a few hours before the dinner was supposed to start. And he still was giving me the cold shoulder and he hadn't been talking to me. He was just being really, you know, just very cold and distant. And he showed up at the hall that we were getting married at. And he walked in and he had flowers and he had this huge smile on his face and he ran over and he picked me up and spun me around and was kissing me. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I've been such a jerk the past few days. He's like, I just, you know, it's wedding jitters. That's all. Of course, I'm thrilled. You're going to be my wife. Like, I love you so much. And he completely reassured me. I felt, you know, I just sighed this huge sigh of relief because I'm like, yes, everything's going to be okay. So the wedding happened. It was a great wedding. It was so much fun. It was just a huge party. All of our friends and family were there. We had a great time. And for like two weeks afterwards, we were just, you know, swept up in it. The whole newlywed thing. We were super affectionate to each other all the time. You know, he was being super nice and he was helping me with everything and we were have we were having all these great conversations again like we did in the beginning I was like oh thank god it was just wedding jitters you know he's fine now everything's gonna be great and so that lasted for a couple of weeks and then one weekend he usually came home around seven on Friday night he didn't show up I didn't hear from him the whole night. I was frantic. I'm calling his friends, his family, thinking something happened to him. He comes strolling in around 11 o'clock the next day. He looks, you can tell he's hungover like he had been drinking the night before. He reeks of alcohol and he's just very quiet and he's acting really strangely. And I'm like, where, I'm frantic. Like, where have you been? What is going on? Like, I tried to call you. And he's just sitting there silent while I'm, you know, shrieking. And he finally looks up at me and his eyes fill up with tears. And he goes, I cheated on you last night. And I was like, what? What do you mean? Like, and he told me that he met up with the guys from his work and went over to one of their houses and they were, you know, playing some music and they had some drinks. And his friend had his wife's sister staying with her and he slept with the wife's sister that night. (laughs) And he came in all tearful and acted like he was just so 
just devastated and that he couldn't believe he had done that. He's like, I was really drunk. He's like, I'm sorry. He's like, she was coming on to me the whole night. Like he made it seem like he just couldn't resist her because she was just all over him the whole night and tried to tell her that he was married and that he had just gotten married and she didn't care. She said, your wife doesn't need to know about it. And it, oh, just on and on and on. I'm of course hysterical. I'm like, I cannot believe this. We've been married for two months. Like <laughs> what is going on? So he's just, you know, super tearful and apologetic. And he's like, I know you're not going to want to, you're never going to forgive me, you know, and I totally understand. I don't deserve it. You're better than me. I, I should just leave. You're just going to want me to leave. I'm like, I don't want you to leave. I really, I don't know what I want. Like, it took me a little bit to, you know, process that. And obviously he stayed after a few days, you know, I just, like always, I wanted everything to be back to normal. And, you know, he still seemed pretty broken up about it. He was crying real tears, you know, and he was just constantly, he was trying to do everything for me. And he just seemed very apologetic and very, like, he was really upset that he did that. Like, it was really a mistake. And after that initial, like, show of remorse, he just slipped back into his normal attitude and you know he was always very condescending and talked to me like I was an idiot and really hard to get along impossible to get along with I would say like there was just no pleasing him he was never happy about anything that was also when he started really being I would say mean to my kids like he had been kind of not fair with them before that, but it really escalated into like, it was just like, he didn't care anymore. At that point, he wasn't going to try anymore. And we're only a few months into our marriage and he started to really have a problem with my oldest son. He was just complaining about everything that he, you know, he's, he was 12 by that point, almost 12. And you know, boys that age, <laughs> middle school age, he was starting to get into some trouble at school and nothing major, just, you know, his grades were slipping a little bit and his attitude was a little off, especially to my ex, because they just, you know, he, my, my kids could see through him from the beginning, but I just couldn't, I couldn't see it. So my older son and him started to really heads all the time. He started to complain to me about it all the time. He wanted to, you know, his methods of discipline were much more extreme than mine were. And mostly his idea of discipline was to degrade him and just to do unfair kind of spiteful things to him. It wasn't in an attempt to try to teach him anything. He was just purely trying to punish him. My ex had ADHD also. And he was a huge scatterbrain and he constantly lost his things. Like he was always misplacing things and losing things, but he would always accuse my kids of stealing his things when they would disappear or me sometimes even it just, everything was blamed on my son. So now I'm trying to run interference between him and my son. That's really 
causing a lot of chaos in our house. It's trickling down to my, the, my middle son is starting to get upset and not sleep well at night. There's just, we're living in chaos, basically. We lived in kind of a bad neighborhood, a poor neighborhood, and there were a lot of like teenage kids that hung around in the neighborhood. And of course, he's a very outgoing, friendly kind of guy, you know, kind of makes friends with everyone, talks to everyone. So he started befriending all of these older teenage boys. And a lot of them had been kicked out of their parents' houses and he would let them stay with us. He would say, if you get kicked out, we'll give you a place to stay. You know, you don't have to stay out on the streets. So it got to the point where almost every night of the week, it was almost like we were running a boarding house. I was working during the day. He wasn't working at the time. And he couldn't understand why I was so upset that all these boys were in our house all the time. I'm like, we have kids. Like, this is not a party house. It's not a flop house. This is our home. Like, our boys don't need to be exposed to all of what's going on here. You know, a lot of them were into drugs and things like that, just things they shouldn't have been doing. Certainly, even just smoking cigarettes around my kids. I'm like, come on, like, we can't have this going on. And oh my goodness, I was the worst person in the world. Like, so now the relationship, which isn't very, it's not a, still not a very old relationship at this point, even though you're married, you are living in complete chaos. Normal has gone out the window. The person you are with is no longer the person that was the person before I'm not going to say the wedding before the three days before the wedding. And are you looking at things at this point? Well, I'm going along with things right now. Are you looking at it as like the sunk cost theory as I've already put so much into where we are I can't give up on what's going on. Like, where is your head at this point? Because all of this stuff has happened and it hasn't even gotten to its worst, but it is really, it is chaos, your home. I guess, I don't think I was to the point yet where I was, felt that I was just so invested that I couldn't give up on it. But I think I just, I was kind of blindsided at this point you know, he was just thinking very selfishly, like mostly it was just that he wanted to have people around to hang out with. That was a theme throughout our marriage. He never wanted to spend time with me alone. He always tried to make sure that there was somebody else there. Like he would always call over a friend or make arrangements for someone to meet up with us. If we were going somewhere, like he didn't want to be stuck alone with me. I don't, I'm not really, probably for lots of reasons. So that's what he was doing right from the beginning was just taking away any need to spend any sort of meaningful time with me and possibly be called out on anything he might be doing in exchange for hanging out with all these young kids that just thought he was the greatest because, you know, he was giving them a place to stay. And, you know, he was laying the foundation for what he, the patterns that he would continue throughout the whole entire marriage. He always had to build, you know, a network around him. He told me when, this is a notable point, when we were first having those 
dreamy conversations on the couch in the beginning, he told me that he said, I sold my soul to the devil so that I could be popular. I said, what does that even mean? He said, I sold my soul to the devil. I said, how do you go about selling your soul to the devil? And he never would really go into it or explain what he meant by that. And I always thought it was so strange, but it just shows you how that was like his one need that he wanted was to be admired and be looked up to. And he wanted everyone to be intimidated by him. He wanted to be respected by everyone. Like that was his main goal in every situation that he put himself in. He made sure that he would be in that spot where he would receive all sorts of attention and admiration and recognition. And now here comes you who is trying to raise three children. You have this, uh, husband living in your home who's now acting like a teenager because he's close to being a teenager you're his you're now his mom in a lot of ways and you are in the way of him getting that respect and admiration from other people now and that will make you public enemy number one i assume Yes, that that is absolutely correct. So how do things kind of go from this point on as far as uh, staying in the relationship, figuring out how to keep it together? I I assume there's just going to be a lot of pushing and pulling apart because you want it to somehow stay together based upon your psychology and he needs a mom still to take care of him, I assume. So he needs you and you still want something from him. And it's going to be hard to like get that fully to break apart. Yes. I, at the beginning of that cycle, the whole pushing, pulling, you know, come here, come here, come here, get away from me, get away from me, get away from me. It was always like that. Always. He would cycle back and forth in the beginning. It was more often, I think just because he was younger, I think, and it was new. It was every three or four months where he would just constantly flip flop back and forth between being like he was in the beginning, (laughs) you know, being that sweet, nice, talkative, like, you know, like the person that I fell in love with who really did not exist at all, but he would give me that every three or four months, then it was, and I would see it coming. I would see the change coming weeks in advance. Like I would know when it was coming, I would get, I started to get really bad anxiety. If I would see the slightest change in him, any change in his tone of voice, his mannerisms, his mood, the things he would say, like, I just learned to read him so well that I could recognize when the switch was going to come and I would dread it coming. And I would instantly go into like damage mode, you know, like I've got to make sure I'm perfect because I always thought it was me. I thought he had an issue with me. I thought it was just, he wasn't happy with me or 
I was too old. I always had the old thing in my head. That was like a, something that I was always very insecure about because he was young. And, you know, the women that were his age obviously did not look the same as me. I'm 32, 33 years old at this point. Not that I looked horrible or anything like that, but I'm obviously not the same as a 20 year old. I can't compete with that, you know, nor do I want to. I'm just not in that space anymore. And I kind of just gave up, like threw myself completely out of the equation and just focused everything on trying to stay three steps ahead of him, prevent any outbursts or any, you know, disapproval or any mood changes. I just tried to keep everything perfect. You know, I ran interference between the kids, made sure everything was all situated with them. You know, I would make sure that when he came home, the house was clean and dinner was ready and the kids were quiet and the TV was available and I wouldn't discuss any anything negative with him. Like if there were any bills that had to be paid, I wouldn't bring it up right then because it would cause an issue. Just everything, my whole entire life became about walking around on eggshells, trying not to do anything to piss him off or trying to keep my kids from doing anything also to piss him off. So now I'm watching out for four people just trying to all keep us out of his way. <sighs> okay. So I should back up now. Um, he, around that time, got his band going. So he started spending a lot of time gone from the house. Cause you know, it was band practice, this band practice, that gig here, gig there. So he was, he was gone a lot. And naturally he was getting lots of attention from lots of women from being in his band because he was a very charismatic, like just kind of larger than life type person. Like he had no shame. He would do anything for a laugh. And here I am, his quiet, shy, insecure wife who feels like he hates me all the time. And I'm just always kind of trying to shrink myself and not draw any attention to myself. And anytime we were out anywhere, he was dragging me around to all these. It was either I had the choice. I could either sit in the corner by myself or I could go around with him and mingle with people, which I hated. That's not me at all. It's very difficult for me, but I forced myself to come out of my shell because I thought that would make him approve of me more like look he doesn't he thinks I'm boring he thinks I don't want to ever have any fun I just sit in the corner by myself I don't participate you know so if I wanted to be in his world I needed to step it up a notch and come out of my shell and be more friendly and outgoing and put myself in situations where I was really uncomfortable so a lot of that was going on and at one point the same thing happened that had happened a few months into our marriage, he did not come home one night from, he had had band practice, except this time he didn't come home for the entire weekend. And I was just frantic. Like I was a wreck. I just was falling apart because I just knew he was probably cheating on me at best. I mean, at worst, he, at the very, like, least he had gone out gotten really drunk you know obviously he's not coming home for a reason so 
he finally called me from a friend's house and he was very combative and just kind of short on the phone. Like, he's like, what's the matter with you? And I'm like, what do you think is the matter with me? You've been gone all weekend. Like, where have you been? What are you doing? Don't worry about it. Okay. All right. I just won't worry about it. Like, come on. Like, he wouldn't tell me where he was. He said, I'll be home later. We'll talk about this. Like, oh my God, what is going on? So he shows up later that night. I'm still like a wreck. I'm just a ball of emotions. All these things are going through my mind. I don't know what's going on. He announces to me that he's moving out. He's like, I got to get out of here. Like, I'm not happy. You're not happy. I want to, there's certain things I want to do and you don't want me to do any of them. Like, you know, I want my band to grow and I want to go on the road with my band and you're never going to let me do that because you don't trust me. And, you know, you'll just constantly be accusing me of cheating on you and I'm not going to put up with that. So I got to go. And he packed a bag and he left. He shut me down for days, would not take any phone calls from me just completely stonewalled me, avoided me. I didn't know what to do. And at the same time, I had been feeling super sick that whole week. I thought I had a flu. I took a pregnancy test that weekend and I was pregnant with his son. So I called him. So I told him, he accused, he said it wasn't his. He said, it's not mine. I said, what? You've got to be kidding me. Like, when do you think I would have ever, like, I didn't cheat on you. He told me that he was going to demand a, you know, paternity test when the baby came. He said, I hope you don't expect that, you know, I'm going to help you with this. Like, you're just trying to trap me. Oh, that's convenient, isn't it? That's some good timing. You must have known I was going to leave. So you thought you'd get pregnant. Now you're knocked up and you think that's going to make me stay with you. Like, well, it's not. So have fun. And he just was like awful and cruel at that point. He would have nothing to do with me the entire time I was pregnant. He didn't go to any appointments with me. That was such a hard time for me. I was so just devastated the entire time I was pregnant. I was, I felt so alone. I didn't really talk about it to too many people because I was ashamed of the situation. I thought people would be like, well, why are you even with him in the first place? First of all, like he treats you like crap. Second of all, why did you allow this to happen? Like, why didn't you protect yourself or something? You know, you could have prevented it. And I just didn't want to hear all of that. So my mom was really the only person that I was talking to at that time. I kind of just withdrew from everyone. I stopped talking to my friends, my other family members, just isolated myself. I ended up having to move during my pregnancy. I was five months pregnant and he did come around on moving day and he helped move stuff, but he refused to discuss anything still about the situation. If I tried to bring anything up, he just said, I told you how I feel. He's like, I'm all set. And I said, so what is going to happen? Like, what is going on? What are we going, what are we doing? Are we getting a divorce? Are you going to, you know, help me with the baby? Like, what is going on? Where, where are we at? And he just refused to answer me. He wouldn't discuss anything with me. He just left me completely hanging. So I went the day that my son was born 
the hospital was right near his sister's house. So I went to spend the night at her house prior to, it was a scheduled C-section. So I was to show up at the hospital at six in the morning for my C-section. And he showed up at her house around 11 o'clock that night. And once again, he did the whole, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, how are you doing? Will you allow me to still go in with you? He's like, I'm sorry, I haven't been there for you. I don't know what I was thinking. Like, it was always, the reasons that he would give me would always make me feel bad for him dealing with depression and anxiety and probably some PTSD of his own from his own childhood. And I always just felt bad for him. I felt like I had to give him the benefit of the doubt. Like I felt like I would be the stronger one and I would just be the one to take one for the team, you know, and I always would forgive him and take him back because he would cry and carry on and tell me that he loved me. And of course, here I am the night before I'm going into the hospital to have a C-section. All I, I had gone to my friend's house because she said that she would come in with me because he was still refusing up to that point. So I'm thinking I'm going to be there all by myself. And now he's showing up and he wants to be there. So naturally I said, yes, please come to the hospital. We went and my son was born. And when I went back to up to my room, after being in recovery, I had thought, like he, like I said, he had been in his band playing out at bars a lot and things like that. And I was pretty concerned about how close he was with one of the bartenders at one of the bars that he played at. And I was pretty convinced that he had something going on with her, but he would always deny it. When I came back up to my room, she was there holding my son. I hadn't even held my son yet. I just couldn't believe that he would bring her to the hospital and that I will never forget that feeling. The only thing that I could think, like, as, as soon as I saw her standing there, it was like my breath was sucked out of my body. And I was like, all I could say to myself was, do not cry in front of her. Like, do not give her the satisfaction of seeing you cry, like seeing me cry. I'm not going to break down. I'm just going to walk over to the other side of the room and I'm just going to do my thing and I'm going to try to ignore it. And thankfully she wasn't there for very long. It was only a few minutes, but he, he said, I'll be back because, you know, he had to walk her down to the car. Oh my God. Like that moment was I'm like what am I doing like what is going on why am I why am I dealing with this <laughs> I there were a lot there were I there were more things that he did like that too but that was the one that really just I mean I just couldn't even wrap my head around it I didn't even know what to do here it is supposed to be like this super happy time. Like my son has just been born. It's the first time I'm about to see him. And that's what I think about when I think about seeing him for the first time that is attached forever. This, this was the way things went for us pretty much the whole time. We continued to cycle through, you know, his pulling me in and pushing me away it was pretty much always like that. It was about every six months that things would go back and forth. So things would be good half the time and bad half the time. And he, you know, I just continued to always 
I, I kept on giving up little parts of myself and what I wanted out of the relationship and saying things like, well, I guess I don't need him to hang out with me all the time, as long as we can hang out sometimes. I guess I don't need him to hear me, like to understand everything I say, as long as he can just understand. Do you know what I mean? Like that whole cycle of just giving up little things, like, well, maybe I'm asking too much from him. Maybe if I just, you know, didn't expect this from him, maybe then it would make things better. And that was just the theme for the ongoing years after we had been married for about six years, we did separate one more time again, because he had established a relationship with another woman outside of our marriage. He ended up moving in with her. We were separated for a year. And even throughout that entire year, I was so hooked on him and so attached to him even though he was living with another woman I still all I could focus on was getting him back to me somehow I had to get him back to me somehow it was I was consumed with it like I felt it like a physical pain like I needed him I longed for him I pined for him I would just sit and the pain that I would feel over not knowing that he was with someone else and not with me, it just, it killed me. I mean, I was just, I was so, now I hate to say it, but I look back at myself then and I was just so pathetic. I just couldn't, I was just groveling, like begging him, please, please come back to me. Give me another chance. I'll do whatever you want. I need you. I can't do this alone. And lo and behold, after a year, because naturally, you know, a narcissist keeps all sorts of backup plans handy. He had a whole phone filled with all of these other women. Can I just say one thing? That you, you're not pathetic. You had an addiction to another person. He was the only person that could fix the addiction was him. But they were also making you sick at the same time. And it was just a cycle of that. And it was nothing you could do about it because once you were addicted to him, then, you know, it was set in motion. It had nothing to do with being pathetic. It was just, in a way, it's a disease. And just how all they treat alcoholism as a disease and, and all those types of things, a drug addiction as a disease, you got addicted to a person and that person gave you the feeling that you always wanted and then they took it away and then they gave it to you and then they took it away and then they gave it to you and took it away. So it, it's not pathetic. It's understandable why you were making those choices and why you went back and why you wanted him back. Because when you're in the throes of addiction, the only thing you want is the thing that's terrible for you. And it's hard to see through that, especially at the time, but you're not pathetic. You're just a, you're a good person. Thank you. <laughs> so when we got back together at the end of that separation, it was about 2006. What, how it happened, how we got back together that last time 
was I had not dated anyone. I didn't want anyone else. I wasn't interested. My friends were constantly trying to hook me up with people. And I was just all set because I was completely fixated on him. If I couldn't have him, I didn't want anybody else. So finally, this friend, a real good friend of mine, got me to agree to meet up with this guy one night at her bar and hang out with him. And we ended up going back over to a friend's house afterwards to hang out and play some pool and stuff. And this is the first time that I have spent any time with anyone else other than him. The entire time we've been married, as many times as he's cheated on me, I have never strayed from him. I've never been interested in anyone else. And I met this guy and I did hang out with him. I did. I, I wanted to run as soon as I got there. I wasn't attracted to him. But I did it just because I'm like, at some point, I, you know, I can't spend my whole life pining for him. So at the end of that night, my ex showed up there at the friend's house where we were all hanging out. Because he was, we, it was just, like I said, we live in a small town, so everyone kind of knows everyone. He walked in. We were sitting next to each other at the table, and the guy had his arm around the back of my chair. And he came in there, and he walked up to the guy, and he said, why do you have your arm around my wife? And the guy was like, uh, what? He's like, sorry, man. Like the guy was afraid. My my ex is a big guy. He's 6'2", 260. Uh, He has a deep, raspy voice like this and a big beard. He's a very intimidating guy. And he's also at that time belonged to an outlaw motorcycle club. So he's here. He is in his biker vest and He's like, what are you doing with my wife? And he pulled the guy out of his chair and he punched him. And I was just like, what is going on? Everyone was like, oh my God, what's going on? So I'm freaking out. I'm hysterical. I'm like, why is he doing this? Are you kidding me? Like we have been separated. He has another girlfriend. He wants nothing to do with me. He pulls me outside, gives me another, yet another tearful talk full of apologies, begging me to take him back. And I did. Like I said, he's in the biker club now. So his whole life pretty much revolves around that. Now he's the big man of the biker club, Mr. Big Badass. Everyone's afraid of him, you know, and our lives (laughs) throughout that entire period were just ridiculous. Like it was also around that time when the internet started getting a little better because I knew something was very, very wrong with our relationship. I thought it was me always. Like I thought it was just his displeasure with me and that it was something I could fix or that if I just loved him and never gave up on him, you know, he would come around. He would see that. He would see that I was the one that was devoted to him and he would come around at the end and be like, wow, you've stood by me. You know, you really love me. That was what I thought in my mind was going to be the outcome. So I started reading about, you know, I I did a Google search one day and I typed in, why does my husband ignore me? And I started reading and I just went down this whole rabbit hole and it led me to what a description of a sociopath was. And I was reading through the bullet points and I was like, wow, a lot of these things really describe him pretty perfectly. And I'm like, is he a sociopath? And I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, you know, and that was the first time that I ever, that I really started to delve into what was going on. 
And I did that for a few years and I just kept learning more and more. I also like during that time period, like I said, he was in the biker club. So I became extremely depressed. Our relationship was horrible. He also developed a drug addiction during that time period. He was addicted to crystal meth. He eventually started dealing it also, which caused huge changes in him, which I recognized and started to confront him about. And as his style is, he came to the family with a tearful story of how he was addicted to drugs and how he needed to fix it. He didn't want to be around us until he could fix it because it wasn't fair to us. He was going to go to rehab and all of this, that, and the other. So just all of those things were happening. And that was the time when I started just staying in my room a lot. Like I just started isolating myself a lot because the years of, you know, psychological abuse from this man had just, my brain was like, I was so confused. I didn't know if I was coming or going. I was so depressed. I was having anxiety attacks. Um, and I just didn't want to be around anyone. I felt drained and tired and just so sad and empty all the time. And once I started realizing, recognizing that he had a personality disorder, obviously he, I can't diagnose him. I'm not a psychologist, but I mean, reading all these things that are describing exactly what I'm going through for the first time, seeing that, that, that changed everything for me. That was the moment. That was my aha moment when I read that this was about him. And I just, this feeling came over me and I just broke down and just started sobbing. And I was like, but it was in relief because I was like, oh my God, it's not me. It's not me. It's him. Obviously I did have my own issues. I was codependent and all of that, but I didn't understand any of that yet. So it was just coming to terms with that, which took me several years. It, this went on for still another few years before I really got to the point where I started calling him out on it because I just was so sick and tired of being badgered and degraded and my kids being beat up on and just not physically, I don't mean, but just it, he was just he acted like he hated us, all of us, all the time. Everyone else thought that he was this great guy. He was Mr. Popular downtown in our town. Like he was a bartender for a while. Like I said, the bike club and everybody knew him and everyone knew him as this, 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 the great guy. He ran for mayor in our town in 2009. I'm not kidding. He was in an outlaw motorcycle club and he decided that he would run for mayor. But he's just constantly searching for this, like he needs admiration, so much admiration. And it would kill me because people would come up to me all the time and be like, oh my God, he, you are so lucky. He is a great guy. Wow. Your kids must love him. He must keep you in stitches all the time. Like what a great guy. He's just such a great guy. And I would be like, you have no idea. Like that is not who he is at all. No one saw who he really was except for us and his own family members. And they were just enablers. They wouldn't ever say boo to him because, you know, they didn't want to be on his bad side either. So I guess it was around 2012 
by that point, I was really struggling. I had told him that I wanted a divorce. Still, for another two years, we continued to stay together until 2014, when the mood in our house, like the toxicity and the tension in the air was palpable in our house. Like you could walk in there and it just felt bad. He would come home from work at the end of the day and, you know, I'd have to have everything perfect. Everyone would go to their spaces. I would go to my room and he would plant himself in the living room. And now the house was his because he was home. And that was when I really started to get kind of angry. And I got a lot braver than I had been previously. Uh, But once I started to really call him out on a lot of, you know, his things that he would do, especially his lies and his you know, his two-sidedness. I, he did not like that at all. I told him that I thought he was a narcissist and he thought it was crazy. He laughed in my face. He tried to tell me that I was the one that was the abuser. And, you know, I hate that phrase, reactive abuse, but there was a lot of that going on because I was angry at that point. You know, I had just, And I felt trapped. I thought, how can I ever get away from this person? Because he had already started putting the fear into me of what would happen if I tried to leave. You know, he would, well, you better not do that because then, I mean, he threatened me with everything he possibly could, scared the crap out of me because I knew he would do it. I knew he wasn't above any of those things. And there was one night when we were arguing and he grabbed me by the throat and he like bent me backwards over the top of my washing machine and just held me there. And the look in his eyes, it was like, he wasn't even there. His eyes got black. He was, it was like, he turned into another person and I was terrified. I thought that was it. I thought that he was going to kill me. I'm like, he hates me enough. He's angry enough. He's certainly strong enough. And he wouldn't let go. And I couldn't breathe. And I was like clawing at him and kicking at him. All of a sudden, it was like he woke up out of a dream or something. And he stopped. And he let me go. And I ran out of the house. And I went to my friend's house. And she's like, you need to call the police. And of course, I wouldn't call the police on him. Because I was terrified of him. And so after that, it was that was pretty much the beginning of the end. Like I told him that I was going to file for divorce. He stopped staying at home. He's well, first he started sleeping in the guest bedroom. He did that for a few weeks. And I had suspected that he was seeing the woman from the first time that we separated that he had moved in with. I suspected that he was seeing her again. And he was. Um, I found in his phone, I looked in his phone one morning and he had just come home. He was in the habit of staying gone for the weekend with his club. And when he would come home on Sunday morning, his routine was that he would crawl in bed with me and get up against me in bed and kind of, you know, poke me. And that was my signal that it was time to, you know, roll over and do what he wanted me to do. And he he always used to say, oh, I had you trained so well, like you you knew how to do everything that exactly the way I wanted you to do it. And geez, he's like, you were trained so well, what happened? 
all of a sudden you had to get a big mouth and start hanging out with all these women and getting all this girl power and thinking that you're tough now. And now you think you can tell me what you're going to do. And you think you're going to leave me. You can't leave me. And just all of that. Oh, it got to be really, really just angry. And, you know, there was so much animosity and so much tension and we couldn't say more than two or three sentences to each other without just exploding. So I filed for divorce. And as soon as he found out that I had really filed for divorce, oh my God, that was when the war began. Um, he started a huge smear campaign on Facebook and Instagram. He started posting pictures of himself with this new girl that he was with, saying how she's the love of his life. She's everything he's ever wanted. He's been miserable for years, and she's just the light of his life. And when he left my house, he did not see or speak to my son, his son, the one son that we share, for three months at all never gave him any explanation, told him that he was leaving, tried to contact him or see him, nothing. He just left and acted like we didn't exist anymore. He left me with two months of unpaid rent, which he told me that he had paid. He wouldn't give me any money to help me. He had a great job at the time. He was making really good money. He refused to give me any child support or any help with anything. I ended up being evicted from my place. I had to find a place to live. He tried to take my car from me. I had to empty out my garage and it was just big enough that the car would fit like right up to the door in there. And I put a padlock on the outside and I have to lock my car in there at night because he was threatening to come and take my car. I had a mutual friend call me one night and she said, I was just downtown and I overheard him talking with his club brothers. She said, is your car in the garage? I said, yeah. She said, good, because he's planning to come and tow it away with a flatbed tonight. So he threatened to take my child from me because he said, okay, I moved out and you don't even have a job. You can't even support yourself. And I'm going to take the car, which means you're not going to have a car either. So I guess that would make me the more stable parent. So he's probably going to have to come and live with me. My son wanted nothing to do with him. He never really had a relationship with him. He was never, even though he lived in the same house with him, he had nothing to do with him really his whole life. Never really spent any like quality time with him. So my son didn't want to be around him. And he especially didn't want to be around his new girlfriend that he was living with. They were both drug addicts. The one day that my son did go over there to visit him, he stuck him on a video game in the living room, a game, by the way, that was for like a three-year-old that he hadn't played since he was a toddler. And then he stayed in his bedroom the whole day with his girlfriend and left my son in the bedroom, the living room by himself. And my son ended up calling me around three o'clock that afternoon. He was supposed to come home after dinner and asked me to come get him. So I called his dad and said, hey, I'm coming to pick him up. And he said, no, you're not. He's here with me. And I said, yeah, but he doesn't want to be. He told this story that my son had started crying and begged him to sleep over, but I wouldn't let him because the only way he could get to school in the morning was if his girlfriend gave him a ride and I didn't want him around her. It, it was just ridiculous. The things that he went through, he told me that he had a lawyer. Um, the lawyer that he had was the 
criminal lawyer who was on retainer for his club. He wasn't even a family lawyer. That was who he was threatening with me with and saying that he was giving him all this advice and saying that I couldn't do this, that, and the other. None of it was true. I obviously didn't have money for a lawyer myself. So I had called like a free legal service and spoken to a lawyer, like a pro bono lawyer, and found out that everything that he was telling me was crap. He had the whole attitude like he was going to get me before I got him. And I didn't want anything from him. All I wanted was for it to just end. That's all I wanted. I mean, we did our own divorce. I agreed to everything that he wanted because I didn't want to fight. And I was terrified that somehow he would be able to manage to take my son from me. And I just could not, (laughs) my son cannot be with him. Like that would be the worst thing in the world that could ever happen is for him to live in that environment with him. So I just knew I had to do everything to make sure that he didn't get him. So I agreed to a minuscule amount of child support. We went in, did our own pro se divorce, agreed to everything and just signed the papers. And my mom during all of this was dying of cancer. And she was like my only person, my support person (laughs) through all of this. So that was really difficult because I was trying to deal with my whole marriage crap and trying to take care of her and be there for her at the same time, you know, coming to terms with the fact that I was going to lose her. And she passed away the day that my final divorce papers came in the mail. And I just remember sitting down on my front step and I just, I mean, I was devastated about my mom, obviously, but at the same time, I was so relieved that it was over. Like it was final, but yet at the same time, I was so sad and so disappointed because I put everything, my whole heart and soul into that. Everything I had, I tried so hard for 12 years to just do anything to make it work with a person that didn't deserve to even have that. I mean, he, he didn't love me. He didn't care about me. He didn't care about his son. All he cared about was himself. And I just felt like I had lost, like I gave him the last years of my life that I was young and that I was, I felt like I had so much to offer. Like, I I just feel like all of the best parts of me were lost to him. I've healed a lot. We divorced in 2015. I have spent the last seven years doing a lot of soul searching and learning as much as I can about myself as possible. I've never, ever in my life paid any attention to myself at all. I thought that it was selfish to care for myself. I didn't even know what self-love was. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know how to love myself. And so that has been a huge journey for me for the past seven years. I am in a relationship that's healthy now um, with someone who respects me and gave me the time that I needed to heal. I was with him before I was done healing, but he really understood. I mean, he's kind of been in a similar situation. So he's been really patient with me. And I mean, I feel like it's just been in the past 
year or two that I can honestly say that I am free of him. I didn't think I ever would be. I thought that he would kill me, not physically, but mentally. I thought that I just, I just never thought I would ever be the same. I thought, how can I ever trust anyone ever again? How can I, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'll, I'll never be the same, but I am happy now. And I am at peace. My son is now 18 or my son that I share with my ex. He turned 18 in March. He does not have a relationship with his father. He chooses not to. He hasn't for the past few years spoken to him. He's old enough to see for himself who his father is and he treats him the same way that he treated me. He he really doesn't want anything to do with him. His father is also now in a new relationship. He's about to get married to a woman with three daughters and he is the dad that stepped up. He's like super dad, super partner. And my son sees that. And it just, I see that. And it just rips my heart out for my son. How can his father just dis- discard him like he doesn't even exist? Like, that's my pain now. My My own pain has healed. And is in a place where I can deal with it and not, you know, it always enters my mind, but I don't dwell on it. I don't give it any of my energy or attention anymore, but my heart just breaks for my son because I know that it's always going to be that way for him. He's that's his son. I can leave him. He can't divorce his father. Obviously he's stuck with this man who doesn't even care that he exists and that just I feel responsible for that I mean I know I didn't do it on purpose like we talked about that already I've forgiven myself for that but I will always have guilt over it I always will feel bad that I put dragged my kids down that it was like we were all stuck on a ride like a roller coaster ride that just went it only went up and down it didn't do anything else. It just went up and down and it made us all sick and we couldn't get off. We were just stuck on it for so long. And it makes me angry that I didn't have the strength to get out of it before I did because I see all the damage that it's done to my kids. And now they're all dealing with their own trauma around growing up in that toxicity. They don't, I'm thankful though. I was, I've always been very close with my kids and I, we've always talked a lot about it and, you know, they don't, they're not angry with me or anything like that. They understand what happened and what we went through. I mean, obviously it affected them, but they, I'm so thankful that they don't blame me and it's, it changed me. I'm not the same person anymore. I've learned so much and I've learned about my own, the parts of me that are broken that have caused me to be in these relationships. You know, I never had a healthy relationship modeled for me or had one myself. Um, so I just really didn't know what it was. And I've always just kind of been lost, just kind of being swept along on the tide of life and not feeling like I've had much control over it. And that is one thing I'm thankful for is it made me so much stronger and it made me 
know myself so much more and what I'm capable of and what I deserve. Uh, I don't deserve to be treated like that. No one does. And my kids didn't deserve it either. But I just know that I would never allow myself to be in that situation ever again. And if you had any words of wisdom or advice for people listening, what would it be? When someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. Don't sweep it under the rug. Don't ignore all of the red flags. If it doesn't feel right to you, it's not. It's not right. And don't let anybody tell you that you're, that feeling that you have is wrong because it's not. Listen to what your gut is trying to tell you because it's there for a reason. It's there to protect you. It's because you're about to get yourself into something that <laughs> is not going to be good for you. And when, if you do get into that situation, acceptance, I feel, is the hardest part. It was the hardest part for me because once I found out what I was dealing with and who he was, what he was, and what I had gotten myself into, I just knew at that point that it was pointless. Therefore, I couldn't do it anymore. It was never going to be any better. It was never going to improve. And accepting that, that he wasn't going to get better and that I couldn't love him better and I couldn't fix him, none of that mattered. We always tend to think that if we just stick by someone and just love them and support them that we can fix them and that they'll come around. And that's, <laughs> if you're really truly involved with a narcissist, that's just not going to happen. And that's a really hard thing to accept. It's very difficult to accept it and to let it go because, you know, it's a disappointment. You put a lot into it and it's, it just drains you. My mom, I think, made the best analogy. She said that when she was married to my father, she felt as if they were two vessels filled with water and they were connected by, you know, like a, a pipe at the bottom. And she said, in a normal relationship, those two vessels are constantly moving up and down because one is filling the other as it empties and so on and so forth. She said, I felt that mine was always empty. And your father's was always full. And no matter how much I put into his side, it just went right straight through back into his side again. And that's exactly how I felt. And, and before my mom died, I did get to, you know, we did get to discuss that together. And I said, who does this remind you all of? And she said, your father. She said, you're so much smarter than I was. And I said, no, mom, I'm not smarter than you are. I have Google. <laughs> you didn't have Google. I said, if you would have understood what was happening to you, you would have gotten out too. And I know you would have. She was a strong woman. And she was just so, she said, I'm just so proud that you've realized this and that you're, you're doing what you need to do to make your situation better for yourself and for your kids. So, Buttercup, I want to thank you for being here with me today. This was two days in the making. Yes, it was. <laughs> and we fought through some technical stuff, but you did a really good job today. And you were very clear 
with everything you said for people to validate their experience, but you really did a very good job of explaining your feelings, which is not an easy thing to do. And you went down some holes on your feelings and people are going to follow you or they, they just followed you down all of those holes with you. And it's going to help people attach their own words to their feelings. And you were able to accomplish that and help them do that. So a really big thank you for, for being here with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really glad that I got the opportunity to do this because if anybody listening relates to even part of my story and it helps to validate them or help them in any way, then it was worth it. Well, thank you once again, Buttercup, for being here, being a guest on our show. And if you want to be a guest like Buttercup was today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. Please read all of the instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button. Also at our website, we have our very own support group. At the top of the page, it says support group. Click on that button and it's our very own safe social network. There we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoon, and Saturday nights. We have our forum boards for you to post and fellow survivors to validate your experience, to help you through some really rough times. We also have ad-free episodes And we have episodes that never made it to air. So please, if you need support, join our support group. It helps out the show as well just by joining the support group, even if you're not going to use it. Uh, So anyway, join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at domesticshelters.org. At domesticshelters.org, they have articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you are going through. They have every phone number and every website and every email address for every shelter, big town, small town. They got it there at domesticshelters.org. So please do go visit them today. It's a wonderful organization. And that is it for our show today. So for myself and Buttercup, We hope you have a good night.